illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw, and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here we'll tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half from the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, 10, into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heinrich Tailgater. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heinrich Tailgater headquarters, I'm your host, head chef, planner, and chief bottle washer, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me, as always, from the Heinrich Tailgater Northern Command Outpost, the lead driver and director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host and brother, The Beach. How you doing, Beach? I'm doing good, Billy. How how goes I'm t- everything? I'm, I'm 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 tired. I'm really tired. How was your trip down to California, dude? It was freaking phenomenal. So, can, you want me to go into my little diatribe? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So we went. We we uh, got down there Friday after. Well, pretty much Friday at noon. We uh, golf. I can remember all this in my head. Uh, we went. To the Walt, we got a tour of the Walt Disney Studios down in Burbank. Now, how'd you score that? Is that because you're a cast member? Yeah, because I work for the company, I was able to get in. Um, we uh, now were you we able tried, to actually? Were you just on campus, or did you actually get a tour? Uh, we were just on campus. We were walking around, and it looked like they were having a screen of the Force Awakens, the Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. So anyway, we tour the campus. We got the tour of the campus, uh-huh. and uh, then uh, we didn't get a chance to see uh, um, Star Wars, unfortunately. Yeah, and I don't we, think we figured, people are going to. We we figured if we could alight a little bit, maybe we would get there. But anyway, we uh, we let it go. So we then uh, went over and we had uh, a dinner at the chef's counter at the Napa Rose at Disneyland, which was freaking amazing. Um, it was like a seven course meal. They ask you what kind of things you like or don't like, and then they just put a me- they prepare a meal for you. So it's just kind of a surprise, but it's extremely fun. It looked amazing. Yeah. So um, Kelly doesn't like seafood, so she said no seafood for her. I said, you know, I'm not big on mushrooms, and um, 
can't remember what else I said. And they asked, like, do you like wild game, like duck and stuff? And we're in lamb and, or, you know, in lamb or that kind of stuff. We're like, sure. And so anyway, it was pretty phenomenal. Uh, then we got up our butts extremely early the next morning. And we had that special event at Six Flags that got us in about two hours before the rest of the public got in. Uh-huh. And we were able to ride Twisted Colossus, uh, Drop of Doom, um, um, what is it? I want to say Gigantor, but uh, Goliath. Uh-huh. And uh, then after it opened up to the public, then we were able to get on X2 and Tatsu and Riddler's Revenge. And we just had a riot. So if you have a chance to go, freaking Twisted Colossus is amazing. I can't believe they took a, a like a 40-year-old roller coaster and were able to make it so phenomenal to ride. It has amazing banks, turns, inversions. The final inversion you go through, it hangs you upside down so long you think it's, you, you think you should be falling out. Like you're just going, wow, I've never had a loop hold me that long. You know, normally you're in a corkscrew and you're over in a second. And this thing like takes you upside down and just rolls you up there for a while and then brings you back over. So anyway, great ride. So then after that's when it really got fun. Mm-hmm. So after we got done at Six Flags, uh, we decided that we needed to go over – well, first we drove over to the Golden Oak Ranch, which is Disney's studio ranch. All the studios used to have ranches back in like the 30s and 40s, and most of them have sold theirs off. The only one that still remains is Disney's, and they shot like The Parent Trap there and Follow Me Boys and, and a lot of movies there back in the day. Um, most notably that people on here would know would be Back to the Future, Old Man Peabody's Barn from the first back to the future is a barn that's on the golden Oak uh, ranch site. So anyway, they've done a ton of development there over the last couple of years. They added a whole downtown area of backdrops. They added a whole little street, uh, residential street to shoot films where I've known they've shown some scenes from like NCIS. And I think even some from desperate housewives. Uh And so we tried to get in there, but we weren't able to get past the security guard, but we got some cool pictures from the outskirts. And then once we were done there, then we had to find the Burger King where uh, they built Doc Brown's shop at in 1985. So the original shop is the Gamble House Garage over in Pasadena. But to make it look like he sold off his property and got the money to build the time machine, they put it in the back of a Burger King parking uh, lot. And the facade's not there anymore, but you can still see where they put it. And we went by there, and I was going to buy a courtesy Coke from the Burger King, and the place was closed. It was weird. Oh. Uh, sign out front. says, closed until we get new equipment. Huh. Whatever the hell that meant. I don't know what kind of equipment they were waiting for. Wow. But uh, then after that, we swung by uh, Imagineering, and then we swung by uh, Griffith Park and Walt's Barn, and we saw the combine from the original train at Disneyland, and then they also had a train from Nature's Wonderland. And then we went and we rode the original carousel at Griffith Park that uh, inspired Walt Disney to build Disneyland. I didn't even know the the carousel still existed, but it's in the park and you can ride it for two bucks. And that sucker cruises. Like I bet you, if like OSHA looked at it, I bet you it doesn't even meet code. Because if we weren't on the horses, we would have flown right off. Really? Oh yeah, <laughs> it just screams. And then we went over to uh, L.A. We saw where the original location of the Hyperion Studios was at for for the Walt Disney Company. 
We saw the Hyperion Bridge, which is the bridge that Disney rebuilt in California Adventure that hides the monorail track. And then after that, we drove up and we saw um, Uncle Robert Disney's house where uh, Walt and Roy uh, started the business at. And across the street from his house is a a house where they rented two rooms where they uh, first lived there. Then we went down the street not too far where their first two houses that they bought are at and they lived uh, next door to each other and they feel that that's where Walt uh, where Walt and Roy came up with the idea for Mickey Mouse was in the garage there. So when we're sitting there taking pictures of the place this older lady drives by rolls down her window and says what uh, she she looks at us and she goes uh, you know this is the birthplace of Mickey Mouse, don't you? And we're like, yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> and she chatted us with it for a bit. And then we went up to the Gamble House to see Doc Brown's house from 1955. And we couldn't take the tour, so I gave Kelly a quick tour of it because I knew the I've done it before. And then the most coolest part ever is we went down to Pasadena and found the street where Lorraine Baines's house was from Back to the Future. And so... We, we find the street, and the street's blocked off with barriers, right? And Kelly looks at me, and she goes, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, park the car and go in and find it. And, and we look down the street, and all of these tables are set up in the middle of the street. People are dressed extremely nice. There's cloth tablecloths over the tables, and we're like, you know, is this a wedding going on or a reception or something? But it's a public street, so we figured we were okay. So we walk down, and we think we find the house but we're not positive and then this gentleman comes up because the party was literally like one house over from us out in the street and he says um can i help you guys or did are you, are you did you guys just move in and we're like um no we're here to try to find lorraine baines's house from back to the future and he looks at us and he goes oh well that's right there he goes the, the tree that george fell out of is in my yard so he, he took quite pride in the fact that he had the tree but anyway, and then he's like, and uh, George McFly's house is, is that one over there about two down. And the white one over on the left here, that was uh, Biff's grandma's house. And, and he goes, you guys came on a great day. He goes, we're doing our block party. He says, last year, we did a screening of Back to the Future out here on the street. But we're not doing it this year. But we do have a DeLorean that's coming by in another a couple hours if you want to wait and, <laughs> and join that's us. That's cool. It was so awesome. And we if we didn't have other places to go, we totally would have waited for the DeLorean. But uh, anyway, I got to point at the place where um, Marty McFly got hit by George's dad's car and uh, caused the total screw up in the space-time continuum. Right on. And it was so cool. Even the house, the one thing that I noticed was between Lorraine's house and Biff's grandma's house. Do you remember the scene where Biff comes out of his house and he's yelling at his grandma and then there's those two little boys playing ball yeah. and he grabs the ball from him and they're like, give us the ball back, Biff. And he's like, you want the ball? And he throws it up into the um, window upstairs. Well, there's kind of like a like, yeah, it's not kind of a window, but it's it's like a upstairs balcony that's kind of boxed yeah. in. Yeah. That's the house. It's right between Lorraine's house and Biff's house. That's funny. Oh, God, I'm like, I'm like, that's where the ball is. That's where the ball is. So anyway, so then after we left there, we went to what is called the Puente Hills Mall. But for anybody who's anybody, you would know that as the Twin Pines Mall. So we cruised over to the mall. We, we circled around it to try to find exactly where the DeLorean and Doc Brown's van were at, you know, at 1.16 a.m. that fateful morning in 1955, mm-hmm. and uh, we found it. So it was in front of a J.C. Penney, but unfortunately the J.C. Penney has since closed, and it's now a 24-hour fitness <clears throat> and a Ross dress for less. 
but uh, it's still a beautiful sight there. And, you know, I bet you people shop there every day and don't realize the significance that mall has. On the probably. World. You're probably right. It's very sad. So then, let's see, what do we do after? Then we went back to Disneyland and we rode Space Mountain and a couple other rides. Right on. Cool. Sounds like an eventful weekend. <laughs> it was awesome. We were going just like mad. So I think people are going, how in the hell are they doing so much in such little time? Because you guys were running like your hair was on fire. We we did. I was so worn out. I'm still worn out today from the whole thing. Well, the purpose for illegal participation <laughs> is for us to spread our inside experiences and passion for the Oregon State Beavers with others. And generally just talk some beaver sports, football, tailgating, and have some fun along the way. Beach. Billy. Tonight, episode show number 61. We are going to have a little Beaver Sports news. Um, are we going to have an update from Eugene? Um, maybe a brief one. Maybe, maybe a, brief, a one. brief one. Okay. We will go under further review for week two in the Pac-12. We will have a Tommy Tuberville Jackass of the Week award. We will preview the upcoming week three games in the Pac-12. Uh, then we'll talk a little San Jose State and uh, preview the Heinrich Tailgater. Okay. All right. Sweet. And we got we got a lot of games to talk about because we're still in the preseason. So. And because I was out of town and busy going checking out our Back to the Future quest, I have, anything. I don't know anything. Yeah, well, you don't you normally anyway. So this is just my ignorance just is really going to show through tonight. Exactly. All right. Well, remember if you want to get a hold of this, there's a couple of easy ways. You can email us HeinrichTailgater at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at HeinrichTailgater. Also check out HeinrichTailgater on Facebook. All right, Beej, you ready for some Beaver Sports news? Let's talk about this. Okay, Beej, up first is women's volleyball. Billy, I freaking love women's volleyball. It is my favorite sport. All right, Beej. The Oregon State uh, women's volleyball team was down by the ninth-ranked BYU Cougars 3-0 on Friday night at Smith Fieldhouse. They followed that up with a 3-1 defeat with the same Cougars on the following night. The Beavs are now 2-6 overall and return to action next weekend with a pair of road contests in California. The Beavs face UC Irvine in Irvine, California on Friday and Long Beach State in Long Beach on Saturday. Not looking good for the Beavs so far in volleyball. No, they need to win a lot more than they lose in the preseason and then hope to go about 500 in the, uh, in the uh, Pac-12. So they need to, need to get on a winning track here. Yes. Yes, I always I, I always remember uh, Billy Bob Thornton in uh, Friday was it Friday Night Lights, where he says, you know, if they score more than us, or you know, <laughs> something about scoring, they'll win the game. Yeah, you know, ba- basic premise. Yeah, pretty much, huh? <laughs> if you can find that quote and cut that in there, that'd be awesome. All right, B. John to women's soccer. <laughs> All right, Billy, soccer. Yeah, it happens. All right, so. Uh, the Oregon State women's soccer team remained undefeated Thursday evening, earning a one-to-one tie against Texas in Austin. Junior Helene Havoc scored the Beavers' goal, netting her first of the season in the closing seconds of the first half to give Oregon State a share of the game. Now, Oregon State's 4-0-2 start of the season is the team's best since it opened the 2010 campaign, 5-0-1. And, and Billy, why don't we like soccer? Because of ties. And? Negative time. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the match was set to start early, but they had a two-hour lightning delay. Ooh. Now, the Beavs will turn to return to action uh, on Thursday when it faces BYU in Provo, Utah. Hopefully not ending in a tie. 
It's soccer, so you got about a fifty-fifty chance. How do they, they? They, you know, I don't understand soccer because you know, and then sometimes they have like sudden death, but you have to play through the negative time. Well, and then they go to sudden death, and the ref just makes up the rules as he goes along. Yeah, probably. This is like whose line is it anyway? You know, we make up the rules as it goes along, and the, and points, the points don't, don't matter. matter. Yep. Yeah. All right, Beach. Moving on to men's soccer. Um, okay. Okay, Beach. Jordan Jones scored twice, and Timmy Mueller scored the game winner in the 89th minute to keep the ranked Oregon State Beavers perfect on the season as they defeated Duquesne 3-2 to Friday evening in the opening game of the Duquesne Invitational. Then sophomore Timmy Mueller scored twice in a two-minute span to lift uh, the Beavers to a 2 to nothing win over Canell Sunday morning at the Duquesne Invitational. Now, with that win, the Beavers moved to 5-0 on the season, the best start in school history. The team is also now at number sixth in the top drawer soccer poll, which was released today. And they are also ranked ninth in the college soccer news top 30. Those are both, I believe, the highest rankings the Bees have ever achieved in soccer. It amazes me how both the men's and the women's are doing so well this year. That's good. That's good. Now, the Bees will return to the state of Oregon this week when they play at Portland on Thursday. Hmm. So... I oh. would go if my I would go I would go to watch even though I don't like soccer but my my schedule's too busy. Yeah, I know that feeling. Hey, hey, Beach. What, Billy? Is that the uh, teletype I hear behind you? It, it, it is, Billy. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, just one sec, Billy. Yes, Beach. This just in. Portland International Airport announced that it has a large amount of clothing donations to really? give to local charities. Really? Yes. It seems after uh, several flights came in uh, early, Sunday? early Sunday and middle of Sunday. Uh, there was just clothes being strewn throughout the uh, the concourses. With uh, they didn't say anything in particular, other than they said there was a lot of yellow and green. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Yes. So they said uh, nobody evidently wanted them, and so they decided that they were going to donate them to local charities. They are having trouble finding any charities that want uh, the clothing items. Oh. But uh, they're they're looking at other states and even other countries at this point so that they can give those donations to people in need. You'll, you'll see a lot of them on, uh, on little kids in Africa. It could be. could be. I, I wouldn't doubt that. Along with those Ducks 2015 National Championship shirts, I'm sure, that are out there. Probably so. So, Beach, I got a question. This is a little, little kind of off topic, but not really. Have you seen the Nike commercial that parodies Animal House? No, I have not. But it's got all the duck, old duck players in it. It's got Joey Harrington, Dan Fouts, um, Ahmad Rashad, uh, lots of old duck players. Um, at one point... Um, Marcus Mariota comes walking down the stairs, and the guy's playing the playing the uh, guitar, and he takes and he takes the I only, guitar and he I, smashes it. I only saw that brief portion, and I didn't know what it was regarding. So yeah, it's it's a parody of of Animal House, the toga party scene. 
So last night I was watching a uh, broadcast on the local NBC affiliate that they do after Sunday Night Football. Mm-hmm. And one of the new commentators on there is Joey Harrington for the season. Okay. And they asked him about that commercial. And he said, well, yeah, it's kind of bittersweet that that commercial runs now. And they're like, really, why? Well, he informed them that that commercial was filmed the day after the Rose Bowl. They got all those ducks together, and they filmed it the day after the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. And that commercial was going to be the first commercial played after the Ducks won the national championship. Really? Yep. But obviously that did not happen. So they sat on it, and then over the summer they had the Mariota scene with him coming down the stairs, which I guess they cut it in and it timed out perfectly. But, okay. Uh, it's kind of funny that they uh, even Nike counts their duckies before they hatch, don't they? Funny, yeah. Now I was I was trying to look it up here, and it looked like San Francisco did one too. I don't know. There's a put Nike, Nike Animal House commercial. Try that. Click, 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 yeah. click, click. Yeah, one of them came up though, and it showed like a San Francisco Giants. Yeah, it says San Francisco Giants Animal House commercial. Commercial. No, they did one. So for- that one was in 2013. Yeah. So, so it looks like Nike copied this one. Okay, so you got the duck playing the guitar. Uh, yeah, go Nike Oregon Animal House. Yeah. Oh, I see Mario. So they cut the whole Mariota and in yeah yeah they cut that into the thing afterwards because they couldn't use him in that other commercial because he was still a player. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just thought I found that funny. All right, Beach, you ready to go under further review for week two in the Pac-12? After further review, the runner did cross the line. The Touchdown! <laughs> yeah, let's do that. All right, Beach. So first up, we had a game on Friday, September 11th, Utah State at Utah. Do you remember who you took? Uh, I took Utah. Actually, all three of us took Utah. And Beach, just to... Refresh everybody's memory. Heading into the last week, after week one, you were in the lead at nine out of twelve, and Kyle and I were tied at seven out of twelve. Do you so, already know the? Do you already know the the outcome of this this week? Did you already do the math? Yes, I've got it all added up already. I'm on top of it this year. So, Beach, um, we all took Utah. Utah running back Devontae Booker ran for 120 yards and a TD, and the Utes beat Utah State 24 to 14 on Friday night, but lost quarterback Travis Wilson to a shoulder industry. Injury. Now the Utes, lost, the Utes lost Wilson in the second quarter at the end of a 38-yard run that set up Booker's TD run that gave Utah 14-7 lead. Now, backup quarterback Kendall Thompson replaced Wilson and threw for 56 yards and ran for 23 and a TD. He made two starts in 2014 and had replaced Wilson for a time before Wilson was lost last season with a knee injury. So it's not like they're getting somebody back that's Completely green by or wet behind the ears. So yeah, yeah. started. So anyways, we all got the win there, Beach. All right, Beach. Next up, all the rest of the games were on Saturday, September twelfth. First up, Beach, Sac State at Washington. Who do you got? Uh, Sac State at Washington. I thought I took. Did I take Sac State on that one? Yes, you did. And Kyle and I both took UW, which was good. Washington routed Sacramento State forty-nine to nothing. In its home opener at Husky Stadium on Saturday to improve to one and one on the season. 
I had I had one I had a couple to give, so you know it's worth the worth a gamble. Freshman quarterback Jake Browning made a lasting impression in his Husky Stadium debut, going 17 of 24 for 326 yards and two DDs. It was also another true freshman, Miles Gaskin, who kickstarted the Huskies' stagnant running game. After a scoreless first quarter, Gaskin had eight carries for 50 yards on Washington's first scoring drive, capped by his three-yard TD run early in the second quarter. It was Gaskin's first TD for UW, and it was UW's first offensive touchdown of the season. On UW's next drive, Gaskin had a 16-yard TD run on fourth and one, and in the third quarter, Gaskin broke free for a 78-yard TD run to extend the Huskies' lead to 49 to nothing. He finished with 14 carries for 146 yards and those three TDs. Now, two other true freshmen made their UW debut Saturday, left tackle Trey Adams and wide receiver Quinton Bounds. In all, the Huskies have played 10 true freshmen this season. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. So, Beach, Kyle and I, I hate you, Kyle, Kyle and I both pick up uh, the uh, the win on that one. And hey, while we're talking about Kyle, I still hate you, Kyle. It is Kyle's birthday today. Ooh, yeah, I just saw yes. that. Well, it'll it'll be yesterday when this thing gets released. But yeah. yay, happy birthday, Kyle! Yeah. Happy happy post birthday, Kyle! You bastard! All right, next up, Beach. Um, what? How, how old is Kyle? I don't know. Old enough to know better. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah, probably. Okay, Beach. Next up was uh, Massachusetts at Colorado. I think I picked the Buffaloes on this one, Billy. Actually, all three of us picked the Buffaloes. Now, a normal pass-happy offense rediscovered smash mouth football. The Colorado running game led the charge and was so punishing that it chewed up 390 yards on the ground, produced 200-yard rushals in Michael Adkins for 119 and Christian Powell for 105, and even saw the quarterback, Sefa Lafau, Power in his first rushing touchdown as the Buffaloes beat the Minutemen 48-14. Now, the Minutemen had tied the game at 14 early in the second quarter before they were blitzed by 34 unanswered points by the Buffaloes. Colorado did get his first passing score of the year in the third quarter, an 18-yard Lafau touchdown to Nelson Spruce hookup that put the game way out of reach. That, that's awesome. I'm glad for Colorado. I, I, I like to see the Pac-12 win, and I think Colorado needs to build up some wins. Yep, yep, yep. So they... they this, the conference is better when everybody's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we all got the win there. Next up, Beach, Washington State at Rutgers. I think we all <laughs> aren't supporting Washington State this season. No, we so all didn't, didn't. Didn't we all take Rutgers? We all took Rutgers. Now, Washington State quarterback Luke Falk led a 10-play, 90-yard TD drive, finding River Craycraft with an eight-yard strike with 13 seconds left to lift Washington State past Rutgers 37-34 Saturday. Now, Falk threw for 468 yards and four TDs. Now, while Janarian Grant tried to be the hero for Rutgers, returning two kicks for TDs, he couldn't return the final kickoff for a touchdown. The ball was kicked to Leonte Caro, and Rutgers tried to do their Stanford versus California impression before the ball was thrown forward after several laterals, ending the play. Hmm. Anyways, none of us none of us got a point on that one. That was close though. Yep. Next up, Beach, San Diego State at at uh, Cal. Excuse me. Um, took Cal on this one. Yes, we all did. Now, Cal quarterback Jared Goff threw two TDs in a 21 second span. Wait, uh, Jared Goff. Oh, Jared. Don't call me Jack. Goff. I think that's what it was. Yes, Jared. Don't call me Jack. Goff. 
threw for two TDs in a 21-second span to break open a tight game, and Cal forced two turnovers to overcome a sluggish start and beat San Diego State 35 to seven on Saturday. Now, don't call me Go- don't call me Jack Goff. Completed 17 of 24 attempts for 321 yards and three TDs. He moved within 16 yards of breaking Troy Taylor's school record for passing yards, and is also closing in on the records for TDs, throws, and completions, which is pretty impressive because he's only a junior. It's awesome. Yeah. I think Cal's going to be a force to be reckoned with as the season goes on. Yeah, you know, I think the uh, I personally think the Pac-12 North is much closer than a particular team thought they were going to be this year. I think so, probably too. All right, Beach. Yeah. Next up, Arizona at Nevada. Took the Wildcats on this one. All three of us did. Now, Arizona running back Nick Wilson ran for 194 yards and three TDs, and Anu Solomon passed for 264 yards and two more scores Saturday night as they led number 22 Arizona past Nevada 44-20. Now, just two games into their sophomore season, that duo of Solomon and Wilson has now combined for 54 TDs and more than 6,300 total yards of offense. Now, against Nevada, Wilson averaged 9.2 yards per carry as Arizona had over 570 total yards of offense. Impressive. Impressive, yeah, especially out of those two. So, so well, got yeah. the win there. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach, next up, Idaho at USC. Oh, did we all not take the men of Troy? Yes, everybody took the men of Troy. Now, USC quarterback Cody Kessler threw for a career-high 410 yards and hit Juju Smith-Schuster with two of his three TD passes, leading the Trojans past Idaho 59-9 Saturday night for their second straight blowout win. Now, Smith-Schuster set career highs with 10 catches for 192 yards as the Trojans amassed 738 total yards and routed a Sun Belt Conference opponent for the second straight week. Now, Kessler went 26 for 31 with no interceptions, hitting Isaac Whitney for a 28-yard score in the second half. The USC senior quarterback has passed for 650 yards and seven TDs while beating Arkansas State and Idaho by a combined 99 points. And, I, and there's still no alcohol allowed in the coach's office, right? In, in Inside the coach's locker rooms at the stadium. I'm glad they're standing by that. Yeah. That's no more cool. alcohol. No not, more alcohol. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not after what's happened. All right, Beach. Next up was Oregon at Michigan State. I'm pretty sure we all took Michigan State on this one. Yes, we did, Beach. And Oregon transfer quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. threw incomplete to end Oregon's final drive, and fifth-ranked Michigan State held on to beat the seventh-ranked Ducks 31-28 on Saturday night in college football's marquee game of the week. The Spartans stopped Oregon four times on fourth down, including one key stand in the second quarter at the Michigan State goal line. Wow. Now, the Spartans lost only twice in 2014 to Oregon and Ohio State the two teams he played for the national title. Now, Michigan State led in the third quarter at Oregon last year, but lost 46-27. to So I, I really like Michigan State. They're a pretty damn good team. So Evidently so. Yeah, and they had four stops of Oregon, where a couple of them, I was thinking they should just kick it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just kick it and take the points when you're that close. But... You know, I guess they know better. Four, seven points is better than three. Of course, three points is better than none. Yeah, but when you lose by uh, four. Yep. All right, Beach. next up, UCLA at UNLV. Uh, I think UCLA was our team for the week. 
Yes, everybody took UCLA. Now, quarterback UCLA, excuse me, UCLA running back Paul Perkins ran for 150 yards and two touchdowns, and quarterback Josh Rosen threw for another score as number 13 UCLA rolled to a 30-73 victory over UNLV on Saturday night. Rosen completed 22 of 42 passes for 223 yards as the Bruins piled up 526 yards in all. The second consecutive week, UNLV's defense allowed more than 500. After the first two games of his college career, Rosen is now 50 of 77 for 574 yards and four TDs. His performance against Virginia last week earned him the Walter Camp National Player of the Week Award on offense. Sweet. Okay, Beach, next up, Stanford, uh, University of Central Florida at Stanford. I think this is where we differed, and I think I went with Stanford and you guys went with UCF, didn't you? We did. Uh, And Stanford quarterback Kevin Hogan connected on a 53-yard flea flicker to Michael Rector to highlight a three-touchdown night as Stanford bounced back from a disappointing loss in its season opener to beat Central Florida 31-7 on Saturday night. The deep strike director was Stanford's first touchdown of the season. Hogan added a 7-yard TD pass to Christian McCaffrey and a 93-yarder to Bryce Love in the second half as the Cardinal avoided their first 0-2 start since 2006. A 93-yarder. That's That was yeah. nice. Now, Hogan finished with a career-high 341 yards, including three passes for more than 40 yards. So you got the win beer there, Beach. Kyle and I were both SOL. <laughs> So two more games to talk about from last Saturday. First up was Cal Poly at Arizona State. And it's not the intramural team. They actually have a football team. Yes, Beach. Now, Arizona State quarterback Michael Bercovici threw two of his three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, and Arizona State avoided a huge upset in its home opener by holding off Cal Poly 31-21 on Saturday. The Suns Devils were flat in an opening loss to Texas A&M and had a hard time shaking the FCS Mustangs in their first game at renovated Sun Devil Stadium. Now, Demario Richard ran for 121 yards and two TDs, but Arizona State had a pair of key turnovers and struggled in the end zone in the second half. Now, Cal Poly had opened the season by knocking off two-time FCS national champion Montana 20-19 on a last-second field goal and didn't back down in its first game against a Pac-12 team. Attacking the Sun Devils up the middle with their triple option, the Mustangs ran through Arizona State for 284 yards on the game. Wow. Yeah, and that was a game I was just too tired. I couldn't stay up anymore. But I couldn't believe how Cal Poly was hanging with them. Wow. Cal Poly didn't look bad. Mm-hmm. So... For, Anyways, an intramural t- for an intramural team, not bad at all. Uh, uh, Arizona State wasn't thinking intramural by the end of that game. <laughs> okay, Beach, the last game we will talk about from the weekend, Oregon State at Michigan. This was a huge disappointment. And, of course, uh, all of us being who we are, we all took the beefs. Now, Oregon State took the opening kickoff and went right down the field and scored on a pass from Seth Collins to Hunter Jarman. Then, on Michigan's ensuing possession, Oregon State recovered a fumble after a blitzing sack by Rommel Maggio, but turned it over a couple plays later on their own fumble. Then, trailing 10-7 just before half, after having just punted inside the Michigan 5, but it being called back on a penalty, the second punt attempt snap was skied over the punter's head and finally recovered at the Beavers' two-yard line, a 95-yard field position change. And the Wolverines scored with 11 seconds left to take a 17-7 lead at halftime. And the Beavs obviously lost the game 31-7. to Now, uh, 
Devayon Smith had 126 yards and three TDs rushing for Michigan, and really that was the difference. And Beej, you know, the the Beavs, I know you didn't see the game. The Beavs were right there. I -hmm. love the way they came out on the first drive and ran right down the field, running and passing, and it was just beautiful. Um, Michigan gets the ball, run a couple plays. Beautiful um, blitz by Maggiov out of the linebacker spot. Blitzes, sack, fumble, recovers it himself. Oregon State runs a couple plays. Looks like they're moving a ball. Victor Bolden tries to cut up the middle on a a uh, jet sweep gets the ball punched out Michigan recovers and it was kind of downhill for there although the beefs pretty much were holding on at that point until that play right before half and that just seemed to take all the wind out of the sails and in the second half the beefs just could not move the ball offensively and defensively the beefs couldn't tackle I mean mm. Michigan just ran right through them so wow. yeah anyways so, yes, but you know what? I think everyone expected the Beavs to be one and one after the first two games, and they are. And so uh, now we'll just see what happens. Well, and you got to get a loss. We're, we're definitely not a perfect team, so if you're going to get the loss, might as well get it outside the Pac-12, so our goal for the Rose Bowl is still intact. Uh, yeah, it's not tarnished at all at this point. Nope. Still, so. still control their own Rose Bowl destiny. Well, and we're, we're still tied for the Pac-12. Uh, we're still tied for the Pac-12 North, aren't we? Um, or no, Cal's ahead. Yeah, Cal's Cal's undefeated at this point. But those games don't matter when it comes to you got to wait till we start playing some yeah new games. Yeah. So. All right, Beach, let's talk about the Pac-12 in the polls. So after all the weekend's games, USC moved up to number six, UCLA to ten, Oregon fell to twelve, Arizona sits at twenty, Utah twenty-one, and Arizona State, Cal, and Stanford are in the others receiving votes category. Okay. In the USA Today coaches poll, USC is at 7, UCLA at 12, Oregon at 13, Arizona 19, Utah 21, and Arizona State and Cal are in the others receiving votes category. Okay. All right, Beach, it's now time for one of your favorite segments of the week, the Tommy Tuberville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. Jackass of the Week Award. Now, every week we like to discuss a person in college football who exemplifies the truly worst in sportsmanship, leadership, and just being a fan. And Beach, this week, after having to watch another just pitiful display by a head coach on on during a game that I was watching, we're going to give this one to Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. Now, Harbaugh has been uh, known for his sideline antics. And as Mike Parker used to, as Mike Parker said over the weekend on the radio podcast, he scolded Harbaugh for being a petulant child for the way he acted, and that's really truly what it, what he is. Now, early early in the game, there was a offensive pass interference called against a uh, tight end for Michigan, which mm-hmm. Harbaugh just lost his head over. And then it turns out on his radio show today, Beach, he admitted it was a correct call. Really? Yeah. But he also lost his head um, when Michigan was flagged for a roughing the punter call against Oregon State. I'm, I, oh, okay. And and on that play, it sh- probably shouldn't have been called. And actually, the Big Ten, whose officials it was at the game, 
said they should not have flagged that call because the punter had run outside the tackle box. So at that point, he was a uh, uh, considered a, a runner and not a kicker. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he's afforded the same protection as a as a, a quarterback. So after he's kicked the ball, you've only got a step or two before you can actually touch him. Mm-hmm. So. But anyways, the guy just acts like a jackass on the sideline constantly. Now, he's not 15 yards out in the middle of the field like Stoops used to be at Arizona or some other coaches that we've railed on. But, I mean, he just sits there and pounces and whines and, and throws a fit constantly. Yeah, I'm watching it here. Yeah, and it's just constant. Now, it was funny, Beach, because I was watching the game um, here at the house with my good buddy Will, who's a Nebraska fan. And we watched the Beaver game, then later we watched the Nebraska game. And it really stuck out in my head when he, we were watching the Nebraska game. And there was kind of a, a, a questionable call that went against Nebraska. And they showed Riley talking to the referees. And he was asking him. And I could think he disagreed with him. But mm-hmm. it was a pleasant conversation. And then it, they went about their thing. And Will said, you know, it's nice to have a coach that just talks to the officials. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I, I get tired, especially, you know, we saw it with Stoops when he coasted Arizona with a guy that's constantly losing his crap on the sideline. Yeah. At a certain point, everybody zones you out. Mm-hmm. We saw the players do it with Stoops, right? You know, the officials do it and you just, you just act like a jackass and you look like a jackass. Yeah. So anyways, to Jim Harbaugh, this week's Jackass of the Week Award. <laughs> goes to you that's a shame too because i've always liked jim harbaugh i hate to see him get this award well what what i have to say Beach is well it's deserved and it went on yeah i mean it it is what it is it went on at stanford and it went on at at the 49ers and it goes on at at michigan now the thing i don't know i i'm just glad we don't have to keep watching them the only thing is the media just focuses on them all the time so the the tagline for a Yahoo Sports uh, uh, article on this says Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh hasn't lost his ability to throw a good tantrum. Pretty much. So pretty much. Pretty much. All right, Beach. So uh, it's now time for the Guns and Roses musical interlude of the show. Obviously, this year we are focusing on some Guns and Roses. Yes. And I, we we hadn't talked about this prior to it. No, I figured we could have a conversation here on what we're going to play. What, what were you thinking? Well, I had a couple of of ideas. What was your idea? Uh, my idea was don't cry. I think that's a pretty good one, especially having after we just had Mr. Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. as our jackass of the week award. Now, I'm one for the original lyrics. Because there's, there's two versions of the song, one with alternate lyrics. There was. And I was actually listening to some Guns N' Roses on my way home to figure out what I wanted or what I was going to suggest we play. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't know which version it was. Um, I think it was the it's the the uh, illusion with the orange and yellow cover. That would be the original lyrics. Okay, then I like that one. Okay, so right now for your listening enjoyment, it's a little Guns N' Roses with Don't Cry, the original lyrics.
right, Beach, I love that song. Awesome. And I have to say that with the main, the amazing <laughs> part for me is how Axel is able to hold that last note, mm-hmm. knowing how much he smoked. <laughs> I was always impressed by that. You, you know, they say, um, I was watching a thing a year or two ago, and it was talking about singers with the most amount of range in their voice. And, you know, people think like, um, uh, was it uh, uh, Stephen Perry? Steve Perry from Journey mm-hmm. uh, had a tremendous range. And so did um, uh, Freddie uh, Mercury with Mercury Queen. Mercury was amazing, yeah. Yeah, he had a great range. And I would even say uh, Sebastian Bach. Uh, formerly of Skid Row. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. But they said they did studies and tests on the vocal range, and actually Axl Rose holds the most vocal range. Really? Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, shocked me too. Because I mean, you think you you know you know he varies his voice up quite a bit, but uh, you you really think about it, and he hits some seriously good notes. I don't know if he still can because voices change. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, but I'm, back I'm, in the eighties and early nineties, he could he could nail it. Well, and I'm sure with his uh, propensity for cigarettes and alcohol, mm-hmm. I doubt he still has the same range. You know who else doesn't have a range anymore? Who? David Lee Roth. Yeah, he struggles. He struggles big time. Half the time he's speaking his vocals. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like me tonight. My throat is just hammered. So <laughs> I'm trying to push my way through it. All right, Beach. So uh, it's on to week three of the Pac-12. Um, the last week of the majority of out-of-conference games. So after this week, we'll have a lot less games that we'll be previewing every week. All right, Beach, so I got my email from Kyle, who we still hate you, Kyle, even though it's your birthday. First up, Beach, New Mexico at Arizona State. Who you got? New Mexico at Arizona State. I think I'm going to go there. I'm going to go Pac-12 on that one to stay with Arizona State. Okay, Kyle started off his email. Nine yards of offense in the second half. Sigh. That's right. The Bees only had nine yards of offense in the second half. They couldn't do anything in that game. And Michigan just ran it down their throat. So Kyle continues. I looked for the most famous alumni for the two universities. Elise Sewell versus Barry Bonds. ASU wins. Kyle works so hard on his responses, so and I feel so. I always feel so lackluster compared to Kyle. So you're supposed to ask me the question. What's the question? You don't have a question about that? What's, what's – yeah, Billy, what about that? Who's Elise Sewell? Yeah, who is Elise Sewell? She's an American fashion model best known for her appearance as a, contest, a contestant in the first cycle of the reality television series America's Top Model. Next Top Model. She was named one of Wired Magazine's 2005's 10 Sexiest Geeks. Hmm. So there you go. See, I figure you always ask me these things. So the one time I'm prepared, you don't ask me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now i got to look up Elise Sewell and look up what this girl looked like. All right. So we're all taking Arizona State. All right, Beads. The next games are all on Saturday, September 19th. First up, this is going to be a great game, Georgia State at Oregon. That is correct. Oregon's playing their second FCS school of the season. Wow. Yeah. Um, Who you got, Beach? How are they supposed to be? Who? Uh, Georgia. Georgia State. Georgia State. They're not very good. (laughs) Okay, we'll go with Oregon on this one. 
I mean, I don't like to say it, but they're they're an FCS team. Okay. And if if Eastern Washington is pretty damn good, doesn't beat Oregon, I don't see Georgia State standing a chance. Okay. Kyle Kyle says another team happy not to be in Michigan. Oregon wins. So. Okay, Beach. Next up, Utah Utah State at Washington. Ah. Uh. That's an interesting one. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Utah State. Okay. Kyle says Chuck Keaton is still at Utah State. That's the quarterback I was trying to think of the other day, Chucky Keaton. He was looking pretty beat up by the during the Utah game. Washington wins. I too am taking Utah State. I just, I I like Utah State. Okay. I like that. I like that offense. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, Beach. Next up, Colorado at Colorado State. Hmm. I'll take Colorado. I think Colorado's going to have a run here. I'm going to take Colorado. I think the Buffaloes are going to going to hit like three in a row. Kyle says Buffs start working. Buffs win. I too am taking Colorado. I just don't think Colorado State's that great. So, my. <laughs> All right, Beach. Next up. Cal at Texas. Cal at Texas. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to take Texas. All right. Kyle says Cal outguns them. Cal wins. I, too, am taking Cal. I don't think Texas is very good, and I think Cal's got something special going on. I think they're going to have a big year. Hmm. So do it. Two for Cal. Next up, each Stanford at USC. I think USC is going to clobber Stanford. Kyle says USC wins the game. Sark and the coaches agree not to sniff glue in the coaches' offices. For that. <laughs> <laughs> no more sniffing glue anymore in the coaches' offices. Pretty soon it'll be no more shooting heroin anymore. We're not we're not going to do that anymore in the coaches' offices. I too am taking USC though. <laughs> when we get to necrophilia, we're really going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, beats. Next up. Wyoming at Washington State. There, there was a donkey, donkey in the office. No more donkeys allowed in the offices. <laughs> no more bestiality. We've, yeah. we've that's, what's that's, this? that's over. <laughs> We're not in Tijuana anymore. All right, Beach. So next up, Wyoming at Washington State. Why couldn't it be a better team? Hmm. I think the Cougs are going to Coug it. Let's go with Wyoming. Kyle says, I think the Cougs may be on prediction. Because it is unlikely, I'm going with the boys and the brown and mustard. Wyoming wins. I'm torn on this one. I'm going to take Wyoming also. They've, they've been close the last couple seasons. I think they might do it. I think they might do it. All right, Beach. Next up. BYU at UCLA. And tell me, does who has a tougher first four games? BYU. They played at Nebraska, at Boise State, at UCLA, and I think their last game, the last of the first four games is Michigan. And are, and they're 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 um they're independent. Yeah, but what's their rank uh, what's their record right now? Two and one? They're, they're two and oh. They two beat, and oh. They beat Boise State last Oh, time. okay, okay. Um, let's go with BYU. 
Okay. Kyle says. That'll be, that should be the game of the week. Kyle says BYU wins by another last minute hail Maroney pass. And Beach. Mm-hmm. Aren't you going to ask me a question? Well, who is Maroney? Yes. I know that one. Oh, you do? Yeah, I know who Maroney is. The well, book of Maroney. Is... Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 in the he's the in the Mormon Bible. Yeah, yeah, he's in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, Book of Mormon. Yeah, he's a Mormon prophet. So. Yep. Okay. Well, he's actually Monro- Maroney is who is on the. I think he is the guy that's on top of the temples. Yes, he is the angel yeah. Maroney. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep, I'm, yep. I'm a little well versed on my Mormon theology. There you go. There you go. I mean, I'm not right. I'm not good, but I, I can fake it pretty well. All right, now I have to pick somebody here. I'm gonna take you. Yeah. I'm going to take UCLA. BYU's just been too lucky. You can't keep can't keep winning games like that. <laughs> so, all right, Beach, next maybe up. You, maybe you can. Remember that season of coach when they won all those games? And they, and they couldn't all figure that it out, yeah. Couldn't figure it I out. keep winning. I don't know. We're not that good. <laughs> okay, next up, Beach. <laughs> next up, Beach, Utah at Fresno State. Utah at Fresno State. I hate Fresno State. Um, not as much as I hate the Ducks, but I do hate them. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go with uh, Utah. Yeah, Utah. Okay, gee, many Christmas. That was taking forever. <laughs> All right, Beach. Kyle Stretch, says, stretching out, trying to fill the time block here. Yeah, because we need to. Uh, Kyle <laughs> says Utah gets it done. I, too, will take Utah, even with a backup quarterback. Fresno State sucks. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right, next up, Northern Arizona at Arizona. <laughs> Again, is this an intramural team? Uh, actually, no, the Beavs played Northern Arizona in 2001 when their game um, was canceled because of uh, 9-11. Oh, yeah? They had a makeup game at the very end of the season against Northern Arizona. Did we go to that game? Yeah, it was at it was at uh, Research Stadium. Good golly! Well, it's only been fourteen years ago. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, they were saying like freshmen and co- they were asking freshmen about nine eleven, freshmen in college, and they were like, "Yeah, they were four when when nine uh, eleven happened." Isn't that crazy? Yes, just wild. They were asking what caused nine eleven, and nobody knew. Yeah. So, um, the uh, yeah, let's let's go with Arizona. Okay. Kyle's taking Arizona. I, too, will take Arizona. And last up, here's the last game of the week. San Jose State at Oregon State. I'm going to take Oregon State on this. I'm going out on a limb, but I, sometimes I, you got to go with the, the odd ones. All right. Kyle says, uh, is there bad juju since we swiped Seth Collins from these guys? Beavs win. <laughs> Evidently, he doesn't think there's bad juju. And uh, I, too, am taking OSU. Well, because originally he was going to look like he was going to go to San Jose State. Mm-hmm. And then with the new coaching uh, change at Oregon State, he switched and signed with Oregon State and showed up in January early. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So, all right, Beach. So, uh, oh, I didn't. I don't know if I said the, the standings after last week. After last week, Beach, you were ahead at 18 out of 24, and Kyle and I were still tied at 16 out of 24. 
For a guy who doesn't have a clue, I'm not doing too bad. Yep, we'll see how this we'll see how this week plays off. All right, Beach, we're ready to talk a little San Jose State game. Yeah, San Jose. San Jose. All right, Beach, we'll start off with a little bit of history of the university. So now what is now San Jose State University was originally established in 1857 as the Men's Evening Normal School in San Francisco. The school was founded by George W. Men's. Now, in 1862, by an act of the California legislature, Men's Evening Normal School became the California State Normal School and graduated 54 women from a three-year program. And Beach, do you remember what a normal school is? I can't remember. I know you told me. I just always find it funny that all of them are called normal schools. Well, a normal school is the teaching college. So it's where okay. where they go to make teachers. That's correct. Now, the school eventually moved to San Jose in 1871 and was given Washington Square Park at 4th and San Carlos Streets, where the campus remains to this day. Now, in 1882, a southern branch campus of the California State Normal School opened in L.A. And, Beige, what did it later become? Um, in L.A.? Yes, the southern branch of the California State Normal School. Uh, would that be UCLA? Correct. Now, the southern branch campus would remain under administrative control of the San Jose campus until 1919, when, by an act of the California State Legislature, the campus became the second campus of the University of California and was renamed the southern branch of the University of California. That's when they, so basically, first, it switched teams. So first UCLA was San Jose State's little brother, and then they became Cal's little brother. Yeah. How, How does that happen? Because they just moved it. They, they reorganized. Okay. Now, in 1921, the California State Normal School changed its name to the State Teachers College at San Jose. In 1935, the State Teachers Colleges all became the California State Colleges. And this new school's name was changed again, this time to San Jose State College. In 1972, upon meeting criteria established by the Board of Trustees and the Coordinating Council of Higher Education, San Jose State College was granted university status and the name was changed to California State University San Jose. Now, finally, in 1974, the California legislature voted to change the school's name to San Jose State University. Now, San Jose State is the founding school of the 23-campus California State University system and holds the distinction of being the oldest public institution of higher education on the West Coast of the United States. Hmm. So remember, there's two There's two parts of the of higher education in California you have the university system which is harder to get into mm-hmm. and that's that's the UC system the University of California that's like UC Berkeley UCLA UC Irvine and those UC schools. Davis UC Davis and then there's the the uh, state you know, the California state system state university system which is like San Jose State um, Cal State Bakersfield uh, Chico State, Humboldt State, all those other state schools. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's 23 of them, so there's a ton of them. I was going to say, you drive down I-5 and you see always see a sign for one of them coming up. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, San Jose State University's total enrollment was almost 33,000 in the fall of 2014, including over 6,000 grad students and other post-baccalaureate students. Now, as of the fall of 2013, graduate student enrollment at San Jose State was the highest of any campus in the California State University system. 
and San Jose states, student population is one of the most ethnically diverse in the nation with large Asian and Hispanic enrollments, as well as the highest foreign student enrollment of all master's institutions in the United States. Hmm. find that kind of interesting. Yeah, a lot, I think a lot of Indians. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. You might you might also just get a lot of foreigners from the Pacific Rim coming there. And mm-hmm. since you're so close to um uh the tech industry. The tech industry, I, you figure I, you're going to have a lot of a lot of Asian students, a lot of Indian students. There's just a that, lot of students from those areas that come well, in. Well, and you're that. you're so close to San Francisco, you already got kind of a heavy Asian population there anyway. True, true, true. So, and, but I was thinking a lot of Indians coming in over for the tech industry. Yeah, true, true. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, anyways, Beach. So, let's move on to a little bit more of the athletic history. Now, the official school colors for San Jose State are blue, gold, and gray. And the nickname is the San Jose State Spartans. And there's really no reason why they're the Spartans. I couldn't, I, I looked and tried to find out why they're called the Spartans. They just are. And the, the, mask, the mascot is known as Sammy Spartan, and he doesn't drink any beer through an eye hole or do anything funny. He's just Sammy Spartan. <laughs> You're thinking Alrighty. being so close to, to Cal that you know, maybe they had an eye hole story of their own. But no well, I was just surprised they used the, the same colors as the blues and golds. I, I thought uh, it was just the, uh, the university system that used that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. They, they could be a holdout. Since they were the first one, they might have been the first one that had it. Hmm. And that Berkeley added it, you know, after that. All right, Beach. Uh, there's a couple notable alumni from San Jose State. Oh, do tell, Billy. Do tell. Okay. Cam, Ken Caminiti, who was a Major League Baseball player. Okay. Ray Dolby. Dolby. Dolby Stereo, Dolby Labs. I love that man. Diane Fossey. She's a noted gorilla expert. Jeff, okay. Gar- Jeff Garcia, who is a four-time Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFL and played most notably with the 49ers. Okay. Julie Inkster, who is a professional LPGA golfer. Okay. And Joey Chestnut, my personal Oh, Joey Chestnut. He's the boy right there. That's the claim to fame. He deserves a placard on a wall. Who right now is the number two ranked professional eater, competitive eater. Oh, in the world Joey. love joey chestnut he was He's the smoking. he was like the what four or five time winner of the uh, mustard colored belt at the nathan's hot dog eating championship yeah took was, out the little little asian dude what took was out kobayashi name? yeah kobayashi yeah kobayashi's a little wussy though he's like oh i i overextended my jaw i can't perform today whatever yeah you know losers limp right there yeah but uh chestnut was unseated this this year at the uh, nathan's thing but uh He's still number two in the world right now. So not a bad, not a bad. He he had a long run. I mean, I don't know how long a professional leader can really go on. I mean, quarterbacks, you know, a good quarterback might last eight years or so, but you know, a professional leader that that really takes a toll on you. Yep. All right, Beach. So now it's time to talk a little bit of the San Jose State Heinrich tailgater. I'm excited about this tailgater, Billy. Okay, Beach. So I have been a little. I didn't know what to do. Right. So we talked about it and we decided that we need to do cheesesteaks twice a season. We always do it at either UW or Oregon, whichever team they play at home. So that one was already picked out. So we decided to do cheesesteaks for San Jose State. 
But you know we always like to put in a little themed food, right, for whoever we're playing. Yes, that's what we do. So what the F says San Jose State? What the F says San Jose what, State? What, what the F says San Jose? So I looked it up, and the thing that I saw the most that came up was falafel. There's a restaurant down there called Falafel Drive-In. It's been on um, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, among mm-hmm. a bunch of other shows. But I didn't think falafel was something that would go over great at a tailgater. Mm-hmm. So then I started to think, what the hell? So I kind of thought, well, is there kind of some kind of snack food? And then I thought, well, San Jose State... You're almost there to the, uh, you're in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, totally. So what if we did like a little apple-themed cocktail, right? You're losing me here, Billy. An apple, like a Cupertino cocktail? Oh, apple! Exactly. Like apple, like, exactly. like a Macintosh, but not spelled the same way. Exactly. So a little, we call it a Cupertino cocktail. Or I was also looking at possibly a some kind of snack food or dessert, my buddy Will again said his mom used to take an apple and core it out, but not all the way. So there's still a little less at the bottom and fill it full of red hot candies and then lightly put foil around it and put it on the barbecue and let it cook. Okay. And then when it's done, you let it sit for just a second and then you cut it and it's all sticky and gooey and the cinnamon and the sugar kind of, Go into the apples. It's sitting there cooking on the grill, and he said it's delicious. delicious. So I thought. So I thought maybe that's 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 a possibility. Right. And then I was talking to our brother from another mother, Gibby, today. Uh huh. And I was like, dude, I just don't know what to do. And he goes, dude, you got to do a sandwich. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Whoa! You know that the skies opened up. That's right, a sandwich. Do you know what? What restaurant started at San Jose State, just down the street? No clue. The number, the second or third restaurant of this now chain opened up in Corvallis and has been a Corvallis. Togo's. Exactly. Togo's. So maybe we should do a little, we're doing cheesesteaks, right? Uh Uh-huh. Well, Togo's, when they were at their original location, which used to be right across from campus, which mm-hmm. if you go into the McMinimums now right across from campus, mm-hmm. that's where Togo's used to be. And if you walk in where their bathrooms are, and I believe one of the McMinimum brothers, I think, might have worked at that Togo's. But anyways, it was in that building. There is a framed Togo's menu and pictures of the original Togo's there on the wall by the bathrooms. Why did Togo's move? Uh, because they were redoing that building and they wanted a lot more rent. Oh, okay. And actually, Togo's is busier out where they are now than when they were down by campus. Well, probably because they got better parking now. Better parking and they're closer to HP and the hospital and all the stuff out there. Gotcha. Yeah. But anyways, so Togo's, when they were on campus, used to have a grill. Okay. And they did several sandwiches. They did a cheesesteak down there. Okay. Not quite as good as mine, but pretty good. They also did a grilled veggie. Which I do grilled veggies sometimes uh, when when we've got people that ask for them. Yeah, well, and they taste they taste pretty good pretty if good, you if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, they also <laughs> if, you're into, if you're into that. They also did another sandwich called the bomb. What's the bomb? The bomb was a cheesesteak with onions and peppers and mushrooms, and I believe it also included pastrami. Wow. Yeah. 
So I'm going to, uh, Gibby's going to talk to Chris, the owner of Togo's, and find out exactly what was on the bomb, and we are going to feature the bomb for whoever wants it. Do they still make the bomb there? No. When they moved from their original location to where they're at now on 9th Street, uh-huh. uh, corporate made them get rid of – they made them fall back into, into company line. So Because oh. when they were on campus, they're right down there by campus, they had several – Sandwiches like the bomb and the grilled veggie on that on that on that grill. So corporate made him get rid of the grill. They also made him quit serving beer. Wow, that's harsh. Yeah. So, but they don't need the beer up where they're at. They needed it to help business in the afternoons and evenings down by campus. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yes. So we're gonna feature the bomb, Beach. Sweet. Yeah. So anyways. That's exciting. I'll have that one. Yeah, yeah, we gotta try it. Gotta try. I haven't had one in a long time. When Matt, when he's when he said you gotta make a sandwich, all of a sudden was like, oh no, duh! How did I not think of this before? So, we'll be we'll be featuring the Togo's bomb. Well, Bill's version of the Togo's bomb. Sweet. So, all right, Beach. Well, we didn't talk about this before, but do we have a cheaters and horrors today? Uh, just a little one, Billy. All right, Beach. And, th- and this is not one that I mean everybody who probably listens to this show knows this one all right well we're just gonna say beach here is the rosie ruiz uh, cheaters and whores she's just a girl she's a whore she's a whore this one goes to uh bill belichick you know, we've discussed this before, Billy. I remember being at a tailgater and, and we were making comments about all the rules the NCAA has put into effect after the Ducks have committed violations that weren't violations at the time but seemed probably unethical, which ultimately they had to put rules in place to prevent people like the Ducks from doing it. Correct. And, and you kind of get the same feeling that, that the, the Ducks have learned from the Patriots. Um. Bill Belichick, he may be one of football's most brilliant minds, but Bill Belichick isn't above a little rule bending, as he showed in 2007 when the Patriots were discovered to be videotaping opponents' defensive coaching signals during a game. Belichick was hit with a $500,000 fine over what became known as Spygate, the largest ever imposed on an NFL coach. Uh, The Pats were also fined $250,000 for the, the violation. And I don't think there was like a rule against that at the time, was there? Yes, there was. Specifically. Oh, there was? Okay. Yes. But it, it's just, you know, he, they just bend everything. Yes. And that kind of crap, I mean, at least the other ones we've had, they were just blatant rule breakers, you know. But the people that, that walk the fine line just touch the edges like this, you know, just to get a competitive edge. Can't well, they just play – good yeah exactly just be good yeah um uh you got talent uh you know you, you got the money you got the talent use it when last week online a article came out in espn i don't know if it's been printed yet but it's online you can probably find it about the amount of cheating that's gone on there especially with the spygate the videotaping yeah. that went on for years mm-hmm. and they were directed the video crews for the patriots were directed to basically cover up any of the Patriots logos on their stuff to say that if anybody asked them what they were doing, they were a video production crew for Kraft Productions. Now, Robert Kraft is the owner of the Patriots. 
and and basically they videotaped it, kept logs. They had one guy who you got to read the article, but they basically just worked at cheating hard for a long damn time trying to steal signals. Now, it's one thing if during a game you have somebody watching the other team's sideline trying to steal a signal. Yeah, yeah. But to videotape it, catalog it, and work at it like that is just ridiculous. Now, what also got me, Beach, and and basic, basically Tom Brady, Belichick, the Patriots, they're cheaters. Mm-hmm. They've always been cheaters, always will be cheaters. Mm-hmm. Now, it got me, obviously we've all heard about the deflate gate and taking the air out of the balls which mm-hmm. they did. They mm-hmm. did it on purpose. They were trying to give their small-handed, fast receivers a better chance of catching a cold ball, mm-hmm. and that's what they did. Um, they can sit there and try to deny it all they want, but whatever. You cheated, and when you got found out, you had somebody destroy your phone. Do, yeah, do you think Tom Brady was involved? Oh, I know he was. I totally know he was. You know, quarterback... Yeah. Now, I, I didn't but, think about the receivers. I kept thinking about no, Brady, if, but if, I, I if, didn't think the receivers have a benefit too with a, with if, a deflated if you, ball. If you look at a lot of receivers around the NFL, a lot of teams go for, you know, six foot four, six foot five, six foot six receivers. Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, your defensive backs are like five nine, five ten. So they got the height when there's so a So they've jump got ball. the height. Um, they tend to be a little slower. Now, if you look at, uh, the Patriots, they tend to have a lot of shorter guys that are not up there that tall, mm-hmm. right? Shorter guys to me means a smaller guy, which also means smaller hands. I could see that. Yeah. So I, that's that's why I think they did it. Also, too, Beach, um, I you probably didn't watch the Baltimore uh, Patriot playoff game last year. But during the game at a couple key sequences, the Patriots did a weird substitution and had an ineligible numbered man in an eligible position. And the NFL is very strict about what position you're playing, what number you have to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, in the college, you'll see guys wearing number two playing defensive end and you know guys that wear like 51 playing quarterback and whatever. They're not strict about it in college. But in the NFL, they are because they want the game to be a pure game, Right. They want, it, they want it to be played by who's the best team, not who's trying to run some kind of Bush League bull crap, you know, trying to confuse the other team with, yeah. with like, you don't see people run that, the Ducks stupid after point play. Yeah. You don't see them do that in the NFL because they, the NFL doesn't want to see that, right? Because that's mm-hmm. Bush League. Well, during that game, Baltimore quickly subbed in guys and had guys with eligible numbers ineligible in in an ineligible position, right? To confuse the defense really quick, they ran a quick play, completed it. They did it twice to keep drives going. Basically, they used that play to defeat the 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 uh, the uh, the Ravens. Now, so after what you're the game, is you're, you're seeing a guy with a high number or with a low number, and you're thinking he's an he's somehow he's eligible. eligible. But and ultimately, him, he's not, but he's distracting the, the defense so they can't figure out where to do. Exactly. And in the NFL, when you are in an ineligible number or whatever, you have to come in and report that I'm an ineligible number in an, in, in an eligible position or vice versa. Uh-huh. Right. Well, they, they do now. Um, because as soon as that game was over, in the post-game press conference, the media was asking 
Brady, you know, how, what about that? You know, and he was like, it was completely within the rules. That was the first answer out of his mouth. So they knew they were bending the rules. They knew they were totally screwing the rules. They were totally doing what the rule was trying to prevent. And what I said after that happened was it won't matter because the first thing the NFL competition committee will do is change that rule so they can't do it anymore. And you know what the first thing the competition committee did when they met in June? Change the rule. Change that rule so they can't do it anymore. So, yes, the Patriots, Brady, Belichick, all of them, they're cheaters and whores. Anyways. All right, Beach. anything to add to our show today? Um, well, uh, my big news, my big announcement that I have okay. is after after careful consideration, I have decided that I am going to be running for the uh, U.S. Congress. So that's my big exciting announcement today. And this is, this is a true thing. This is a true thing. You know, I'm to the point – I, I complain about the government a lot. I my I don't feel my vote ever the, the vote never goes my way in this state. But I also don't like the choices I get very often. You know, and I'm frustrated with the system. Both parties are to blame in a lot of things. Uh, I definitely consider myself extremely far right in terms of my political beliefs. I'm very much a free market conservative. But fiscally conservative, fiscally conservative. I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the free market. I'm a believer in capitalism. I'm a believer in a small federal government. Uh, I believe small governments are the right thing to do. And I think ultimately a federal government should be there to uh, overall oversee the the, you know, the interstate issues as far as like your your defense, um, you know, interstate roadways and uh, the, the basic things that the nation needs to handle as one. But as far as everything else goes, I'm a firm believer in, in states' rights and, uh, and in states' liberties. Hmm. But I'm just uh, – you know, we've got a bunch of politicians in there in both the House and the Senate that believe that they can spend money for people better than the people who earned it. Um, there's too much corruption, too much collusion. Uh, there's too much influence by corporations. And not that I'm anti-corporation at all, but I'm a firm believer in the free market. And part of that means that the free market has to compete. And you can't regulate people or regulate people out of business. And that's what they seem to do anymore. And that stuff just irritates me. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody about it the other day. I said, you know, actually, I think it might have been today. I was saying, you know... just in people's perceptions, and it, it always kind of baffles me, is a lot of people perceive the uh, the Republican Party as being one for big business and the Democratic Party as being one for small business. And I think that's completely backwards because what people don't realize is when you create more and more regulation, it makes entrepreneurship that much more difficult because yeah. a guy – I mean all the guy wants to do is you know, he either wants to build a widget or provide a service, be an electrician or a plumber. And you decide, you know, all you want to do is put a put a shingle outside your your door and say, you know, I'm open for business. I'm here for hire. And it should be that easy. It honestly should. But now the way you look at it, if you look at what an employer has to deal with, you know, the minute he hires somebody, you know, now you've got health care laws that impact him. And now you've got all this paid time off stuff. You know, it can't just be an agreed upon contract between the employee and the employer. Hey, 
I'm a young business. I don't have a lot to pay you, but I, I promise you, if you stay with me, I'll, I'll take good care of you as business grows. No, you've got to provide him health care. No, you've got to start giving him immediately paid time off because if he gets sick, he needs to be able to, to, to still take home a paycheck, even if you're not getting produced any income. And again, you know, these are things that should be negotiated between the employee and the employer. Why does the government have anything to do with it? Yeah. Yet we constantly regulate it. We make it difficult for a simple individual. I mean, a guy goes into business, he doesn't know all these laws. All he wants to do is be the electrician or be the plumber, you know, or, or be anything. And you end up having to hire, uh, you know, a, a lawyer to or an accountant to get you through all this stuff. Well, there's more money off the top. You know, you think, well, why in the hell am I even trying this? I might as well just work for somebody else. Yeah. And it's that entrepreneurship and that, that spirit of um, risk and, and adventure that is what has created some of the best innovation our country's ever seen. And you stifle that innovation and you stifle our economic growth and our productivity in so many levels, uh, not just on new ideas and new concepts, but, but just, just everyday people wanting to do better for themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, this country has done so much through its economic system. And um, I, I hate to see us change that. Yeah. And I feel we've changed it more rapidly in the last six to eight years than, than uh, we ever have in its history. Yeah. So Reg anyway. Regulation just, just becomes barrier to entry. It does. It does. And it, it, it does nobody good. It also – not only is it a barrier to entry, but it costs the consumer more. We sit here and think we're being taken care of when the government comes down and regulates something. You don't realize that every time they regulate something, it increases our cost of the product or service we're buying. Uh -huh. and, and ultimately, in a true free market system, because of competition, we get a better value when it works right. Mm-hmm. So we get well, better quality service, better quality product at lower quality price or lower prices. Yeah. And that's ultimately benefits the consumer. We can live better lives, um, you know, than the generations before us. We mm -hmm. get neater, cooler stuff. We can have a lot more stuff. And I mean, well, and I think anymore in this day and age, it behooves a company to provide a better product. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? But but when you regulate it, you don't always have to. Look at our look at our look at our insurance system, what they've done. They've regulated the insurance companies so there's no longer competition between the companies. Oh. They say they're saving us money, but how are you saving money when you throw on a, a whole level of, of administration to process this stuff and ultimately you've told the insurance companies you gotta offer the same stuff. So their competition really – it might be there, but not to the level of it would be if they were in a free market because then they'd be able to go after certain individuals, certain businesses and really cater a product to their needs and hopefully cut that company's or that group's cost. Yeah, but now they don't have to because the they government don't have said to. you only have to offer these things. Exactly. They, yeah. they've, they've, they've limited our choices and ultimately the, the more choices we have, the, the more competition comes to effect. When you don't – if you have a choice of A or B – and everybody's got to buy it. It doesn't matter who, you know, you don't have a choice. You must purchase this. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, nobody's having to earn your business. It's mm -hmm. mandated that they, you buy. So there's, there's, they don't, they don't care about the service and, you know, we don't see it yet, but we will, we always do. But unfortunately, by the time the public comes to the realization, we'll have gone too far down that road and trying to break up a government controlled monopoly of our insurance companies 
will be very, very difficult. All right, Beach, enough political talk here. Yep, so there, there you go. So I'm running. So my my request to anybody that listens to us, I am running for congressional district number one, uh, which is currently Suzanne Bonamici's district. She's the Democratic uh, representative for that area. Um, Yamhill County, Washington County, um, Columbia County, and uh, uh, there's one more county in there. Forgive me because I'm still learning on this one. I think it's Clatsop County. It would probably make sense if it was Clatsop. Yeah, I think it's Clatsop, yeah, oh, and Columbia nice. County. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of does a weird little L-shaped thing up, yeah. uh, up towards the Columbia and then goes all the way to Astoria. Yeah. So anyway, need uh, need your support, need your vote. Uh, I'll be starting a Facebook page. I'm running an election with a zero budget. If you spend less than $750 as a congressional candidate, uh, you do not have to have a committee. And ultimately, when these things run, all these other committees, it is extremely expensive to run a campaign. Uh, when you start thinking about all the support staff you need, uh, the people that run for these things ultimately quit their jobs in order to run. And I can't do that. Uh, I Well, and I think, you know, you know what we need in this country? Citizen legislators. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. Not, not you know, professional politicians. You, you, you know what? Uh, my my tax accountant one year we were talking about this and he said I think there should be a drawing for congressional representatives. Nobody runs, you just get picked out of a you know a, you know short short straw wins. And uh, he said when you think about it, imagine instead of having these professional politicians, if you just pick to you know a person to represent, it's like mm-hmm. oh I'm sorry you got the drawing, you're in it for two years. Mm-hmm. Could they really do any worse than the representatives we we choose? And I honestly don't think so. True. Um, I actually think they could only do better because they wouldn't be manipulated to get into the position they are in. And that's – I mean I'm, I don't want anybody's money. I need their vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean ultimately if I go in with a $750 per year budget, I have – that is no budget. And ultimately I'm going to keep working. i got to make an income. I have a mortgage to pay. I've got bills to pay. And, and I'm not going to have people donate money. Uh, for the chance to have influence or, I mean, even if they support me just out of genuine desire, you know what? They work hard for that money. They deserve to keep that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's not just in for an election, but that's for government too. Everybody works damn hard for their incomes in this country. A lot of people work two jobs or work a hell of a lot of overtime to pay their bills. And our government um, embraces that idea by taking more money from the people that work the hardest. And that's not right. They deserve to keep more of their money, and they deserve to spend it on the stuff that they believe is most beneficial to themselves, not what the government thinks is most beneficial. All right, Beach. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to show number 61 of the League of Participation. If you'd like to comment, send a suggestion, or ask a question, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. You can email us at heinertailgator at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at heinertailgator, or check out the Heiner Tailgator Facebook page. Um, also, I'm still trying to get us on iTunes. I'm still working on that. I'm in um, discussions with Apple trying to get that done. Um, Beach, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Billy. All right. Next week, we'll have show number 62. We will talk about the San Jose State game. We'll recap week three in the Pac-12 and look forward to week four. So we will end this like we do every time with a great big Go Beats.